everybody, I'm Michelle Jackson. I am the founder of the Black Writers Workspace. I am also the founder of DirectorAuthor.com and the host of tonight's event. I am so excited to have such a big group with us. Uh, big groups can do a lot of things. They're going to bring a lot of minds to the table to hear the speakers, but it's also going to make it very difficult for our speakers to speak if we are opening our mics. So if you can, keep your mics um, muted, and we're definitely going to get to everyone and give you an opportunity um, to ask your questions uh, towards the end of our presentations. But I first wanted to spend a little time with you to talk about what this is all about. And uh, for you to get to know me as well. Uh, for those of you who are on the Black Writers Workspace, uh, throw your hand up or, or give me an emoji or a hand emoji or something and let me know. There you go. Great. The Black Writers Workspace was founded in 2020 by me uh, after I dropped my second book right before COVID uh, shut us all down and left us stuck in the house. And so I didn't have a way to promote my book and thought it would be great to pull together 15 or so friends I knew at read books. And uh, gosh, now it's 13,000, over 13,000 people on the Facebook group alone. And we have Instagram and Twitter and now LinkedIn. So this is a community that has grown. It is something that I am very proud of and something that I love because it gives us an opportunity to come together as writers and talk about what we love to do, which is writing. Many of us are independent authors. We've self-published our books. Some of us are traditionally published authors, vanity published authors. Nonetheless, we are authors, we are writers, we are bloggers, journalists, screenwriters, playwrights. Everything is on the page and we use the page to talk about writing and to share resources. Because what I learned in 2010 when I dropped my first book was that there wasn't a lot of information out there for those of us who wanted to self-publish at that time. And so I had to learn and um, I made a lot of mistakes and I didn't want other writers coming behind me and making those same mistakes, you know, spending too much money, doing too much um, work on the, on the front end, not understanding the marketing and the dynamics of writing. And for those of you who are writing and trying to publish or those who have published, you know exactly what I'm talking about is that there are a lot of steps, a lot of things that we don't know, um, a lot of things that we're uh, kept away from. There are gatekeepers that kind of keep us away from certain things as well. And so we have to share resources and learn from one another. So that's what this workshop is all about. Black Ink, this is our second workshop. We did this two years ago. It was a phenomenal event. We thought, let's do it again. Let's make it free this time. We started out looking for uh, trying to raise funds with it. And I said, no, forget that. Let's just open it up to everybody so that everyone can learn from these dynamic authors. And we have about 10 of them that's going to be with us over the next three days, starting tonight, where we will have Alex Jennings, uh, Winnie Tata, and Aziza Spinks, who's going to talk all about sci-fi and fantasy writing. And there's going to be two sessions. First, we'll start with Alex, and then we're going to move into a co-presentation between Winnie Taltau and um, Aziza Spinks. And you'll get an opportunity to learn from them. But now, I just wanted to say a couple of things to you. First, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you for being uh, a part of the Black Writers Workspace. We invite you to add your books and your manuscripts and everything you have to our directorauthor.com um, initiative because we're trying to build the largest database of independent authors. And so this is an initiative that came out of the Black Writers Workspace and is directthenumber2author.com. You can hit the QR code, the red one, which take you to my link tree. 
You can follow me. You can get all the links that you need so that we can stay connected. But tonight we're going to talk about sci-fi writing and, you know, writing for sci-fi and fantasy. And this is a genre I don't write in. I am a three times published author. I have one Christian fiction novel. Um, I have also a women's fiction novel and a children's book, actually a young adult book that teaches kids how to start a business using comics. And really excited about this, been writing all my life, but I did not publish my first book until I was 35 years old. And so, although I always wanted to be a published author, got a chance to do it at 35. Now I've got three books and hopefully I'll have many, many more. And I may just dabble in sci-fi and fantasy at some point, but I would not ask you to listen to me about this. We have some dynamic people who are going to talk to you and you're gonna learn a lot from them. So just a few housekeeping rules, keep your mics muted. And if you have questions, we're gonna be taking those questions towards the end of each of these sessions. I will let you know when there are 10 minutes to go, you can start dropping your, your questions in the chat box. Uh, it is up to your presenter. He may say, hey, drop your questions during my presentation and we'll try to get to them. We're going to make sure we respect our presenters and do as they say. So if they're comfortable with that, we will do it. However, with so many people, it makes it difficult. So right now we're going to hold the questions to the end of the, of the session, towards that end, last 10 minutes. You can drop your questions in the chat box. I'll read those off to our um, presenters. We also ask that once again, you follow us on Black Writers Workspace, directorauthor.com, um, that you respect our, make sure that we're respecting each other as we're talking and that you stay with us because we have two sessions tonight that's gonna end um, at 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern. But we also have two sessions tomorrow and then we have about six sessions on Saturday and you should have access to all of the logins. So I hope that you come back and be a part of what we're doing. So Alex, are you are you ready? I sure am. Okay. What I want to do is um first I want to introduce our speakers and just let you know a little bit about them. Um Alex Jennings is a lifetime, a lifelong fan and creator of science fiction and fiction writing uh, who lives here in New Orleans. I'm in New Orleans too. So shout out to everyone out there who's, who's in New Orleans. His writing has appeared in magazines, of uh, in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Africa Rising and New Sons too. He is a graduate of the University of New Orleans. He was born in Germany and has lived all over the world. Um, he is also an instructor of popular fiction at the University of Southern Maine Stone Coast MFA program. He has been shortlisted for numerous awards, including Ernest Gaines Award, the Compton Crook Prize, the Ray Bradbury Award for speculative fiction. His deb debut novel, The Ballad of Perilous Graves, is available everywhere so we hope that you all will go out and get his book. So we're gonna turn everything over to Alex. Um, he's gonna speak until about 7.15 and then we're gonna go into our second session. Get started. Hi everybody. First, um, I wanna thank you for being here with me tonight. Um, I have been working, oh, sorry. Um, somebody's working on my stove. So you might hear some odd noises. I thought we'd be done by now. 
Um, but I, I've been working in the SF field since uh, 2003. And um, while a lot has changed over the years, there's still a long way to go uh, in terms of inclusion and diversity. But uh, I had the privilege of being invited into the field by the late great Octavia Butler. And so it's really important to me to do everything I can to pass on what uh, institutional knowledge I've gained, what know-how I've gained, um, whether folks are able to pay for it or not. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I'm here with you tonight. So um, as far as what we're going to be covering tonight, um, this is gonna be a relatively free form um, explanation of what's going on in the field, what has gone on, on in the field and what the future looks like from where I'm standing. Um, please feel free to drop your questions in the chat. I will try to get to everything if possible. Um, I'd like to do about 15 minutes of Q&A toward the end of the presentation. There's gonna be an awful lot um, that we're covering here. So let's see, sorry, let me pull up my outline here. First of all, I, I wanna cover the nuts and bolts of SF writing and how to make your way into the speculative fiction community. Um, one thing that it's very important to know is that Black women are on the bleeding edge of uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror, basically at all times. People like Octavia Butler, Nisi Shaw, Tananarive Du, Cherie Renee Thomas, and many, many others have been pushing the field forward for decades now. And while there is still a lot to do, their efforts are very much bearing fruit. Um, I think two or three years ago, Cherie Renee Thomas took over as uh, the editor-in-chief for the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. This is a magazine that's been published since the 40s, I believe. And she is the first black woman to helm a major SF magazine. Now, this has been an enormous sea change for the SF field. Like there have been a lot of doors shut in the faces of black writers. There's been a lot of backbiting, a lot of refusal by uh, white male writers, especially to allow us to play on a level field. So Cherie taking the helm of this magazine is, I, I can't overstate the importance of such a change. Uh, when I got into the business in 2003, I never thought I would see the day when something like that would happen, let alone uh, see a Hugo Awards. That's the, that's the major science fiction award that's given out every year. Um, and in 2021, the Hugo Awards were presented in Washington, DC. And Cherie Renee Thomas and Andrea Hairston, two black women hosted the, the award ceremony. And it was the blackest Hugos I've ever seen in my life. They, um, they had a drum line from the Duke Ellington School playing go-go beats. 
a, uh, a specifically black SF magazine, Faya Literary Magazine received its first Hugo. These were all enormous changes that have been years and years in the making. And it's just wonderful to see them. So one of the reasons why I'm setting the scene in this way is to let you know that there has been no better time for you to add your voice to the SF field than there is now. We need you, we need what you have to say, we need your sensibility. We need to turn the tide even further than we already have and show a multiplicity of perspectives, of lifestyles, of um, literary preoccupations that can carry us into the most radical future of all, which is a future where Black people exist. So that said, let's get down to the nuts and bolts. I'm gonna divide this next part of uh, my talk or wh whatever you wanna call it into uh, a bunch of different headings. And so first I'm gonna talk about skill building. The absolute most important thing you can do for any, uh, any work that you want to do in the field of letters is to read and write actively. Absolutely nothing else can take the place of that. There are lots of little shortcut, shortcuts and ways to build a bag of tricks for your effects, but there is literally nothing more important than reading as much as you can, writing as much as you can, and thinking very carefully about the decisions that you make in your creativity. So skill building, is another way of boning up on those factors. Um, it can't take the place of reading and writing, but it can be added to them. Um, journaling is extremely helpful. Just writing about, about your day, about the things that cross your mind, writing as truthfully as you can without the pressure of thinking about an audience. That's extremely helpful. That's something that I've done for years and that I still do to this day. Um, another way to build your skills is to uh, participate in academic programs. Like you can, you can find workshops online and in person all over the country that you can apply to and, and join to hone your craft. Um, of course, those aren't absolutely necessary. You don't need any sort of formal training to be a writer. All you actually have to do is write. But there are some things that do help. And one of those for a lot of folks, myself included, is some formal instruction. Um, when I got into the field, I had been train, training as a poet at the Evergreen State College uh, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And, you know, I had always cared about science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Um, I had always read them, and like my dad started out reading those things to me when I was very small, and I, I fell in love with them. Um, we moved over the seas, well, well, my family moved overseas for the first time 
1992 uh, to a country called Suriname, which is on the northern coast of South America. And uh, the major spoken language there is Dutch. So there weren't a lot of places to find English language publications to read. Um, but there was uh, a library at the embassy called the Community Liaison uh, Library. And they had a wealth of donated SF books, like the major magazines, Asimov Science Fiction, the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, Science Fiction Age, Realms of Fantasy. And uh, they also had um, paperback novels, like a, a ton of them. And so that's where I first discovered the fiction of Octavia Butler. I, I picked up Dawn Sight Unseen and I started reading. And now a lot of folks don't remember this era, but back then they were still trying to pass off Octavia Butler as a white writer because they were afraid that only black people would read or be in any way interested in black stories. So as I was reading this book with a white woman on the front, I began to notice little details about her description. And I realized that, oh, wait, wait a second. Someone was saying they can't hear anyone. Can y'all hear me? Are we good? Okay, I'm just making sure I'm not muted or anything. Um, so anyway, I realized in real time that the main character of this book was a black woman and that changed everything for me. You know, growing up, uh, my dad would read us a lot of C.S. Lewis, like the Chronicles of Narnia and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien books, like the Lord of the Rings. And of course, like those books have a lot of black equals evil imagery and thinking in them. And uh, my father expressed a desire for fantasy where everyone is black and the darkest blackest one is the hero. So in many ways, my novel that was published about a year ago now, um, The Ballad of Perilous Graves is my answer to that. Just about every single character in that book is black and the most dark skinned one is the hero. Um, but now I'd like to talk a little bit about my experience writing short stories and poetry versus my experience writing novels. Um, I started publishing short fiction in 2005. That was when I sold my first story. And um, I was extremely excited about it. Uh, it looked like I was gaining a little bit of heat. I had gone to uh, an intensive writing workshop called Clarion West in 2003. Um, at Octavia Butler's urging, I applied. Uh, she told me that if I applied, I would get in. And it turned out she was telling the truth. And um, the thing that I loved so much about going to Clarion West was it would give you two full years of your career in about six weeks. Like the way it works is they have a different instructor every week. You come in, there are 18 of you. You turn in a story a week, you critique your stories. You have a one-on-one -on -one session with the instructor that week. And they tell you what they see in your work and some ways for you to 
improve. Now, Clarion West is not for everyone for a lot of reasons. One is it's six weeks long and it's, it's an in-person workshop most of the time. So you would have to go to uh, UC San Diego for Clarion or uh, to Seattle, Washington for Clarion West, right? Um, now, both of those organizations do do other workshops and classes year round when they're not doing the in-person intensive workshop. Um, but some people don't have six weeks to take off work or to leave their families. And so they have to find alternatives. Some of those alternatives are a workshop called Viable Paradise that tends to focus more on novel writing and um, Odyssey. These, these are just as good as Clarion West, but they have a different focus on them. Um, like I said, you just don't always have six weeks when you're an adult and have adult responsibilities to spend living in a sorority house and turning out a story a week. Like that can be very hard. And the thing that makes not just the SF field, but the, the field of letters in general, so hard to break into, especially for black folks, aside from the basic racism of gatekeepers is that we tend to have less time on our hands and less disposable income to take advantage of opportunities like that. Um, but Clarion offer a lot of scholarships and um, they are dedicated to equity and diversity. So it's one of those things where if you don't think you would really have time to do that, you might want to apply to one of the other workshops. Um, but if there's any chance that you could make use of that sort of instruction, the best thing to do is to apply and see how to handle the situation if you manage to get in. I feel like when I went to Clarion West in 2003, it was a lot easier to get in than it is now. Um, because like I see the classes now and a lot of the folks going each year already have professional writing credits. Sometimes they'll have a book out and that was true of exactly none of us when I went. Um, shout out to Kay Tempest Bradford, who just won a Nebula Award for her middle grade novel. She went to Clarion West with me in 2003. Uh-oh. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, my, my internet seems to be a little wobbly. We're having a bit of a storm right now. So if I blink out, that's why. Um, where was I? I was talking about Clarion West, writing workshops, novels versus short stories. Okay, so writing short stories is one of the main ways to get published in the SF field. Some people feel that short story writing sort of teaches you how to write a novel, and that's not true. If you're interested in writing short stories, you should be interested in it for its own sake, it's probably not going to make you a household name like you would be if you wrote a novel that just exploded super hard. Um, 
the markets for short stories are beginning to dwindle though. Um, and by the way, I should say that I'm talking about all of this from the viewpoint of traditional publishing, because that's been my particular publication journey. Um, there's often a tension between uh, people who self-publish and people who traditionally publish about which is better and which is more valid. Um, I personally don't buy into that conflict at all. Like at the end of the day, whichever you do, whichever you can make work for you, that's the one to go with. It's just in my own traditional publishing has been the way. Plus, like I will say this, traditional publishing has not worked out for me in a big way, uh, except since the beginning of the pandemic. Like I've, uh, I've been plugging away in the field for a long time, publishing short stories here and there in magazines and anthologies and on podcasts. And I was receiving little to no attention until I managed to sell the novel that I had been working on for 10 years. Um, I was very fortunate um, and don't believe anybody who tells you that fortune and luck are not major parts of succeeding in traditional publishing. They absolutely are. The thing is, though, there are things that you can do to hedge your bets and make it more likely that you're going to succeed in that way. Number one, more than absolutely anything, is if you are submitting to a publication be it a novel, a novella, short story, novelette, any of that, make sure that you are following the guidelines offered by that publisher. Follow them to the letter. Now, I will tell you that I have read Slush, which is just like all of the random material that comes in every month for a number of different publications. And if you actually follow the guidelines, if you actually do your homework and look at what they actually publish and make sure that you're trying to submit something that is in their lane, that immediately puts you ahead of about half of people making submissions. I'll say that again. If you follow the guidelines of submission, that puts you ahead of about half of the people who you're submitting with. And this can be the difference between competing with tens of thousands of other people and competing with, I don't know, 8,000 in a month. That immediately raises the, the likelihood of your success. So when you are publishing a short story, the best thing to do is to keep a spreadsheet of the vital information of every place that you're trying to submit to. And um, it's best to start with the best paying markets and then move down from there. I use a submission spreadsheet to this day. And, uh, you know, I'm not a super organized or straight laced sort of guy. So I resisted using that tool for a long time because I didn't want to impose that kind of restriction on the work that I do. 
And uh, when I finally started using a submission spreadsheet, I found it changed everything. So now I didn't have to keep straight in my head who I submitted what to. I, I could just look at the spreadsheet in a moment and tell. Uh, I could look at the spreadsheet and tell how many stories I had out at a given time and when I was expecting a reply for these things. And that was enormously helpful for me personally. Um, the spreadsheet doesn't have to be super detailed. If, uh, if you put down the name of the story, the length. Also, um, using the proper manuscript format, um, I use something called the William Shun uh, manuscript format. That's, that's the standard across uh, SF publications. Um, if you like, there's links in um, the Word document that I sent in um, in preparation for this uh, to Ms. Michelle. Uh, it has all of that information listed out. Also, the, the different workshops and publications that I mentioned, there are links for all of those, as well as a link to my own personal website. Um, so yeah, so keep track of what you're sending where as much as you possibly can so that you don't have to clutter your own mind with thinking about that stuff consciously all the time. Another reason a submission spreadsheet is important is because there is this practice in the speculative fiction field, which I don't understand why, why people are still clinging to it, but it's that simultaneous submissions are either flat out not allowed or they're discouraged by publications. That's, that's kind of absurd because some of these magazines will sit on your work for over a year without telling you whether they still want to actually publish your work. Nobody has time for that. So one thing that I've always done is if I did not hear back about a work within a month, I would consider it okay to submit that work somewhere else. And because I'm using a spreadsheet, that way I know if, um, if there's a publication that still hasn't rejected it, so that if an editor contacts me and says, oh, we wanna buy this story from you, I automatically know where else the story is and I can withdraw it from consideration at other places that might be considering it at the time. Um, formatting, simultaneous submissions, spreadsheet. Okay, another thing that's really helpful is to know what's going on in the field at any given time. So there are a few major SF awards, like the Hugo Award is given out every year. Um, the World Fantasy Award is given out every year. The Locus Awards, uh, the Nebula Awards, like keeping an eye on who is appearing in those lists, especially who is appearing in those lists over and over again, gives you an idea of what's hot in the field. Now, you shouldn't let that influence the work that you're doing too much, 
because writing to market isn't really the way to go. Like if, for instance, blue is what's popular this year. Well, you can't, you can't just sit down and write a blue novel because by the time you're done with it, blue might have fallen out of fashion again. So you're gonna have to look for things that excite you, the things that, that, that you feel like a little kid about. Ideas that just like capture your imagination and capture your heart, like things that can make you love. And there's a number of reasons for that. One of those reasons is in traditional publishing, especially once you land a novel at a, at a publication, you're not done working on that story. Like you're probably going to have to do at least two major edits on that book. And you might have to do more than that. Personally, for my first novel, I did four major drafts after selling the novel to Orbit Books. Um, over the years, people warned me like, oh, you gotta be prepared because before the book actually makes it into stores, you're gonna be sick of it. And like going back to that world and those characters over and over again, it's gonna feel, it's gonna feel like a burden and an obligation. Now, I was lucky enough that that was never the case for me. Um, I, I enjoy the actual process of editing and like moving a story forward enough that it it never it never lost its its shine for me also like i said black women are at the forefront of my field and i was very lucky to get one of the few black women editors at uh hachette orbit to work with me on my book another thing was my timing was very lucky because I remember when the pandemic started, I looked around and I said, my God, I spent 10 years of my life working on this book. I don't have a ton to show for it. Um, I don't really have a proper career elsewhere. I don't have the kind of job that takes care of you. I've, I've gone through this string of like crappy little jobs so that I would have room in my life to do my real work. And so what I was hoping was that in two or three more years, when the world came back, then I might actually be able to make some headway selling the book that I had worked on for so long. Um, luckily, I got an offer for the book right after the pandemic started, like the summer of 2020. And that offer was far too small. Um, I'm talking like three figures far too small. Um, and so that that had me saying like, if this is what this book is worth on the front end, then I really need to rethink my life and career. Because uh, like I'm over 40, I've got to do something so that I'm not like destitute by the time I'm elderly or if my health fails. Um, but what I did was because I had been keeping a submission spreadsheet all along, I was able to see who still had the book under consideration 
And I went back and I contacted everybody who hadn't yet given me a decision and told me no. And I explained to them like, listen, I've got this offer. I'm not sure whether I should take it. I just wanted to touch base with you again and find out, is this something you're still interested in? Do you have a decision yet? Can you help out uh, with this? And the, the first person who responded back to me was uh, a woman named Shauna McCarthy, uh, who had been uh, an editor and an agent in the SF field for many, many years. Like she's really old school. And uh, she just wrote back and said, well, I'll see what I can do. Um, but she started getting results right away. And like the first time I realized we might be playing in a different league finally was when she contacted me to tell me that uh, a publisher who had rejected the book in 2018 had just unrejected the book. And now the owner of the company was interested in publishing this novel. Like it was, it was then that I began to feel like, oh, okay, well maybe, maybe this can actually be something that I can get in front of as many people as possible. And maybe I just haven't wasted all this time and effort, but it was a, it was a dicey process. Another thing that was really helpful was this was the, this was the summer of the George Floyd protests. And so a lot of white industry professionals, because they wanted to feel like they were one of the good ones and that they were interested in helping black people and they, they were caring people made a lot of noise about how much they wanted to work with black authors and get their stories into print. Now, I don't know how much y'all know about this period in publishing, but a lot, a lot of people got ghosted once the dust settled and the protest ended. And I happened to be one of the lucky ones who did not. Another thing that really helped me get a workable advance was a Twitter hashtag that was going around at the time called publishing paid me. And this was something where uh, people working in the industry as novelists and creative nonfiction uh, authors were sharing information about how much of an advance they were getting for their work. And so it uncovered a major disparity between um, black authors and white authors. Like there were white authors getting $800,000 for their first book as an advance. And a lot of us black folks, we were getting less than 50,000 for each book. Um, so that sort of confluence of factors helped me land a three book deal for, you know, low six figures. Uh, which has been which has been a game changer for me. It's really helped in my life. Um, that is to say, when you are trying to establish yourself and make a name for yourself, the best thing that you can do, other than read as much as you can and write as much as you can, is diversify your approach. If you don't put all your eggs in one basket, if you try a bunch of different ways, when a door gets shut in your face, it's not the end of the world. 
it's a it's just a setback that doesn't bring all of your work and all of your good feeling crashing down around your ears you know so if somebody tells you like oh you know i'll look at your novel but then they come back and say like oh this isn't for me like that's not that's not the end of your story it certainly doesn't have to be so if you can enhance your own luck by building your skills, by building a community and a network of supporters and people who care about who you are and what you're doing, like you can make it a lot more likely that you can get to where you're trying to go. Um, more about that. A lot of people talk about the importance of networking and networking is important, but what they don't tell you is that the best way to network is not to think of it as networking, not to act that way. Because I think we've all been in conversations with people who only care about talking to us for what we can do for them and and the knowledge that we can provide and nobody wants to feel like they're being used you know so if you take a genuine interest in people and you work on trying to be um you know yes upfront about what your needs and hopes and dreams are but also clear in the fact that that's not the only reason you're talking to this person you're actually asking them questions about their life and their work and what's going on with them. That's how to stick out in people's minds. Like that's how somebody who, when you met them, was not necessarily anybody who could do for you in the business, but years later when they're an editor at this or that large publishing house, or they're an agent at this or that agency, they happen to hear you mention, or they happen to see a photo of you somewhere, and they say, you know what? I had a really good conversation with that person at that event years ago. I wonder how they're doing and what they're up to. Oh, look, they've got a book that they're trying to sell. And now I already associate them with good things. So I'm going to see what I can do for this person. And uh, that happens not just in the writing field, but in all sorts of fields. It happens in comedy, it happens in all kinds of creative places. Uh, so keep that in mind. Like, I, I think it's, a, it's also a feature of how life works here in New Orleans. You know, we are, we're in the deep South and while New Orleans is very separate from elsewhere in Louisiana in a lot of ways, like, people down here, they don't want the hard press of, okay, I, I wanna know what you can do for me. Here's something I got, I'm trying to strike this deal with you, this and this and that, and, and doing the hard press. Like what they want is for you to say, oh, you know, this weather has just been really crazy for the last couple of weeks. Like every time I look out the window, it's doing something different. And you know, it's, it's making my knees swell up. I can't stand it. <laughs> like. Talk to them in a way that that shows that you are interested 
and not in just one way. Now, that said, I do understand that people have all kinds of, of issues sometimes with like social anxiety, sometimes with, you know, various other ways that can make it difficult to connect with people. Like I personally know what it's like to be painfully shy. Um, and while I'm not saying everybody should do this, what worked for me was, you know, I decided a long time ago that I didn't want to let my shyness and social anxiety inhibit the quality of my life. So what I'll do in social situations, even to this day, is I will think about what someone who's not so shy would say or do, and I say or do that. And it served me pretty well. That's not the only technique I employ, though. Another thing that was just a major, major influence on my writing career was for a while there, while I was working on my book, I started doing stand-up comedy. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a very large person. And so, you know, a lot of the time as I was growing up and like in my youth, I would try not to be noticed by people. And I, I didn't want to be the center of attention because like, I didn't want to be made fun of or thought ill of just because I'm big and fat. So doing comedy kind of helped me get over that problem because it forced me to come out of my shell. It forced me to confront being the actual center of attention in a room and having to say something to a bunch of strangers to try to make them laugh. And um, like, you know, I wasn't the best comedian in the world. I don't think I'm super duper funny, but it helped me be more present in my life and in social situations and helped me figure out how to engage with people better and not just so they can give me something. Um, and it's been, it's been invaluable for that. Um, another thing that it really helped with is another major part of, well, not skill building, but sort of building your abilities as a writer. And that's whether you're self-publishing or publishing traditionally, it is so, so important to live a life worth commenting on, to go all the places that you can go do all the things that you can do, create relationships and experiences that have nothing directly to do with your writing. But at the end of the day, when you sit down to write this or that scene, you recall your experiences, you recall the strange places you've been, the strange feelings that you've felt, and you're able to lay those out in a way that really connects with people and captures their imagination. And another thing that people would often say to Black writers and, and writers of other marginalized identities is, your work is so specific to you and your outlook that I just don't feel like it can be universal. Like, because you're writing about living in, in Baltimore in the 80s during the crack epidemic, like white audiences aren't gonna be able to connect with this and understand and relate to it. 
But I've found the exact opposite to be true. The more specific you get, the more universal you get, because like we all come from common ancestors. So even if I don't know what it's like to be a, a, a corporate pig farmer in Kentucky in 1996, I know what it's like to wonder whether my parents are proud of me, to wonder how my dad thinks of me when I'm not around, uh, to wonder what would have happened if I had lived my life a different way or made this decision instead of that one. Like everybody knows those things. And so for me in my own writing life, I feel like what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to reach underneath my present specific experience and sort of find a common ancestry that binds people together. So that way, my novel about a young black kid living in a fantasy version of New Orleans who wanted to be a magician but has failed at it becomes something that everyone can relate to because everyone knows what it's like to try to do something and fail at it and to think that they have to give it up. <sighs> anyway. So don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't be writing your story or that your voice doesn't matter because it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And if you can, if you can connect with one person and make them feel less alone, make them feel that maybe the secrets that they harbor in their darkest heart are, are not the end of the world, that aren't everything, that Maybe they're not alone in the way that they feel at 3 a.m. when they wake up and worry that they've wasted their life or they've, or they've said or done something terrible. Like that togetherness is what we're after. Whether you're self-publishing or publishing traditionally, you are engaged in a very delicate, mechanism almost of mind control. And I, I don't say that with a negative connotation. I'm saying you are creating synthetic memories to be implanted in somebody else's mind so that they will remember things that never happened to people who never were. And that's a, that to me is a very sacred undertaking and there is no one path that will get you to where you're trying to go. Even getting to where you're trying to go isn't gonna get you to where you're trying to go because by the time you, you get there, you're a different person and the process has changed you so much that the path stretches out in front of you. And you realize like, I've gotten from there to here, now I've got to get from here farther. And that, uh, that's something that they that that no sort of academic instruction is really going to prepare you for. But being your best self, investing in yourself and investing in your own goals, that's what's going to win the day for you. Like um, 
One thing Will Smith said that really resonated with me is a goal is a dream with a plan attached. If you look at the things that you most want out of life and you, first of all, you need to be honest with yourself what those actually are. Like, do I want this specific thing or do I want a crack at something like this? Like I try to keep my own goals relatively loose so that, you know, if I don't win the Ernest Gaines Award uh, on my first novel right out of the gate, like I'm not, I'm not failing myself or failing my support network because that's not, that's not the goal. The goal is to connect with enough people to get enough recognition that people are willing to take a chance on the next thing I do, which has a chance to be more successful than the last thing. So yeah, keep that in mind. I feel like, I feel like I'm kind of rambling a little bit. Does anybody have any questions? Let's see, what haven't we covered yet in my outline? Ah. I'm sorry, I was just gonna say, anybody got any questions, you can drop them in the comment area or if you wanna open your mic, um, if you're comfortable with that, Alex, what you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Okay. Hey, Alex. All right, I'm, I'm just gonna say, take care. Take care. I gotta, I gotta go if you guys can hear me. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for being with us today, Nicholas. All right, goodbye. Absolutely. All right. Oh, yeah, we're running out of time, damn. We're good. Was that um, your, um, speaking, Dennis, Denise? Yes, hey, good evening, everyone. I have a quick question for Alex. Uh, I noticed on the agenda that you, and I'm sorry I came in late, um, that you write fantasy and science fiction. Yes. And how did you get started in that? And are your story characters African-American? Uh, yeah, they're usually African-American, like especially in my novel that came out about a year ago, just about everybody's black. There's there's one white person, one white major character in the whole book. And uh, well, I won't spoil that, but okay. he's there for a very specific reason. Okay. Um, I got into fantasy because I was originally trained as a poet and mm -hmm. I was in this writing workshop at the Evergreen State College and Octavia Butler happened to come and speak to my class. Mm. And then her ride was late um, picking her up. And so for about two hours after she came into the writing center and just sat at a table with like six of us and just talked to us for, for quite a while. And uh, over the course of the conversation, she asked me if I wrote every day and I said I did. And then she told me that I needed to apply to the Clarion West White Writers Workshop and that if I applied, I would get in. Mm -hmm. And um, I was actually oddly crushed to hear that because she had never seen any of my work and knew that if I were to stick my neck out like that and get rejected, it was, it was gonna be a real blow to me, but I, I pulled it together and I did it anyway. And what she said was true. I did get in and uh, I've kind of been off to the races ever since. 
Awesome. So how do, do you, um, are you, how do you go about world building? And are you, is this just strictly, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, are you writing Alex's version of the fantasy genre or do you borrow from other um, fantasy genre authors? That's my I mean, honestly, the answer to your question is yes. Like I, I put my own specific stamp on everything. Anytime mm-hmm. I'm using a trope that's already established, it's for a reason. And I usually recontextualize it in order to suit my own needs. Um, it's like one of the reasons it's so important to read as much as you can and write as much as you can is that's the best way to develop your own voice and your own right. way of doing things. So that anytime somebody looks at one of your stories, they know that's a work that only you could have produced. Like you have mm-hmm. a you have an intangible vibe to your work that everybody understands to be yours. Awesome. And again, like I said, I'm I'm sorry, and I'm gonna give someone else a chance to answer. I have one more question. I came in late, and I do apologize for that. But are you traditionally published or self-published? I'm I'm traditionally I'm traditionally published like my first book was a short story collection that was published by like this micro press out of Kentucky Um, but the book that came out a year ago is with uh, Hachette Orbit and uh, it's like it's traditional publishing to a T and I gotta say it I find it so much easier than like doing the hustle of self-publishing myself, like I'm, I'm not really cut out for that because I'm not much of a businessman. Um, and I find that one of the best things about traditional publishing is that it, it also serves as quality control in a lot of ways. The problem is it's a lot more stri- restrictive than that to a lot of folks. And so there's a lot of voices being swept aside and ignored that are telling stories that people wanna read. Mm -hmm. So what it comes down to is like, if you're going to self-publish, you really need to get as clear a picture as possible of everything that you're gonna need to do and everything you're gonna need to put in place to to make it work. Like if you look at figures like uh, Leslie Penelope, for instance, she started off self-publishing and some some of her work is still like on the hybrid side, but she's also traditionally published. Like she is, um, she's actually at the same company uh, as I am and she's doing fantastic work. Uh, So like there's no one way to get where you're trying to go. You just have to, you just have to try a number of different things and you have to make your choices very consciously and have an idea of the outcome that you want and how you're actually going to achieve it. Awesome, thank you. We have a, we have a couple more questions coming in that's in the um, chat box, Alex. Ah. Uh, one is um, Nikisha, she says, I have a quick question. You were going to say something about writing poetry. Did you write a lot of uh, poetry books? What is your POV in reference to um, e- eBooks and poetry? Um. Well, I have written kind of a lot of poetry. I quit doing it for about 12 and a half years. 
um, because like it was a it was a painful process for me, and I didn't feel like I was getting much out of it. I didn't feel like my poetry was very good. So basically, for twelve and a half years, I just went and lived life, and then all of a sudden, a poem occurred to me, and I set it down, and then it kept happening. And now I've got, you know, I've got many poems published. Um, I don't have a book out yet, but I'm trying to put together uh, a poetry book this year if I can ever get things to settle down enough that I can work on that. Um, let's see. Ebooks and poetry, I think I think ebooks are good for poetry. I just don't know why there are no poetry audiobooks, really. I just don't I just don't get that. Like poetry is such a it's such a vocal medium, you know, that I, I would love to pick up poets' audiobooks of them reading their work or somebody else reading their work. I got very lucky with my own audiobook for my novel. Um, if anybody ever wants to check that out, the narrator is Graylin Bryant Banks. It was his first book, but he is amazing. And I think he's only done one other since then. But like if you're if you're ever in the position where you're trying to hire somebody to make your audiobook, think of that dude first. He's a black man, he's born and raised in New Orleans, and he's fantastic. Um, okay, so world building, there's a lot of talk surrounding world building right now. It's a, it's a very in vogue topic, but I think a lot of the time when people mention it, they kind of ignore the most important point, which is like you can world build all you want to, and that's all fine and good as long as you're not using it as a substitute for getting started. and Basically, the key to world building is to make up just enough details about the world that it seems real. Like that's that's all you're doing, what it comes down to every single time. Um, let's see, my favorite outlining method. Okay, one, I hate outlining. Like I hate it. That's not because I'm a pantser, but it's because the, the process is very opaque but um, I finally got a handle on it. It took me a really long time to get my second novel approved because like once you publish a novel and like you, you sell a lot of copies, it becomes more important for the marketing people at your traditional publisher to be pretty sure that your next story is gonna be a sure bet. And so in order to make that happen, like they want to see an outline that works and that makes sense. And it took me a year to put one together for them. Like, I didn't have a lot of experience with that, but my editor, Nivia Evans, um, showed me some outlining resources that were a major help and unlocked it for me. And in the uh, list of links that I sent in, there are two major articles uh, from Fiction University about outlining and how to do it successfully. Um, it is a vital skill. Like if you, if you ever want to get a multi-book contract with a traditional publisher, being able to outline clearly and cogently is such a vital skill it would serve you well to like get on it now and figure it out because it'll make your life so much easier.
And I'm living proof of that by God. So Alex, we've got a few hands up. Um, Mari, you want to open up your mic and ask your question? Yes, thank you. And thank you, Alex, for all the information you've given so far. I came in a little late, so I'm not sure if this was asked or touched on, but I wanted to know as a writer, where do you go for writing communities? Um, I'm currently in an MFA program and I'm the only Black person, I believe, in my like class period. And although we have a Slack channel for all people of color, there's only 20 of us um, right. in that Slack. And I find it really challenging to find communities of color, especially other Black writers to be in community with and especially in person. Well, um, there are a number, there are a number of things I do for that. One is I sort of built my own community brick by brick over the years, like just talking to people, realizing that a lot of us were facing the same things. Um, I would go to conventions, like one convention that I used to go to every year was Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, Madison is not a very uh, of color place. But Wiscon actually has a high percentage of people of color and they are very interested in diversity and equity and making sure that everybody feels as welcome as possible. So I met a lot of people through that. Um, I met a lot of people through um, local workshops, local events. Um, one thing that you should very much know is your favorite authors definitely want to hear from you. Like there is no time when you could reach out to somebody who's made something you enjoy to tell them, I loved this thing. I just wanted you to know what this did for me, how I felt about this, that they're not gonna wanna hear from you. I do, all my friends do. Um, and, it, and it worked in my own life because I read Big Machine by Victor Laval and like it made such an impression on me that I just, I felt moved to find an email address for him and write to him and tell him like, you know, that book really changed my life and, and it changed it in this way and here's why. And he wrote back almost immediately and he's been super kind to me over the years. I think basically, I, I think partly because he knows that the reason I, I reach out to him and talk to him is not for what he can do for me, but like encountering his work like that for the first time and connecting with it in such a big way and telling him about it, like created a bond between us that, that endures. Excellent, excellent. Um, we have, I think uh, there was someone else with their hand up, but they're not there anymore. Um, see, we've got a question. And we've got about seven more minutes, everybody. Let's see, I have a question. Some genres seem very interconnected um, and contain various sub-genres within. Uh, let's see if I can finish reading this. Sorry. Okay. I can't seem to see it the rest. I'm sorry, guys. So the question is, what comes first, the story or the genre identification? And is it terribly important for a self-published writer or is it more of a tool for those seeking the traditional publishing route? Um, again, like the answer to your question is yes. Um, the genres are all interconnected and the way a genre stays fresh 
is by poaching tropes and elements from other genres. So you'll have science fiction westerns or like um, fantasy horror or, um, you know, paranormal romance. And the thing that comes first all the time, every time is the story. The genre is generally more descriptive than prescriptive with some notable exceptions. Like romance and Westerns are the absolute most um, strictly defined genres. Like uh, for instance, in romance, at the end of the story, your main couple or whoever have to be together and there has to be a positive outlook on their relationship going forward. Otherwise, like if that's not there, what you have is not a romance, it's a love story. Um, Westerns, like the, the restrictions on the, the time period and the region in which it takes place are very important, but there's all sorts of room to add other things to that spice. So like the important thing is just write your story. But when you are revising and when you are trying to market it to people, you need to be able to know what to compare it to, similar books that, that people might've read and enjoyed. Um, you need to know how it's the same as those things, but you also need to know how it's different. And sometimes, especially when you're writing something very weird, it can be difficult to like figure that out. Like my, my novel, The Ballad of Perilous Graves is a fantasy. Um, in some ways it's a portal fantasy, but it's also intensely musical. It's also very contemporary. It's, you know, it's not elves and dwarves uh, and warlocks, but it's kind of adjacent to those things. So, terming it urban fantasy or uh, contemporary fantasy is something that works marketing wise. And um, in fact, like my, my publisher doesn't like for me to refer to my book as urban fantasy because there's a very specific marketing category for that. And my book kind of exists outside that. So I'm not, I'm not writing the kind of book that like for instance, Jim Butcher would write about like a, um, a hard bitten sorcerer who also solves murders in fantasy Chicago. Like, I'm like it's, it's a very different thing. So like the way, the language you use to describe it and talk about it becomes important, but not for the, not for the actual creation, not early on, like just, just for marketing purposes. That's, that's generally what genres are for. Okay, what magazine would you submit to first? One that pays but doesn't have a big following? No, I always go for the magazine that pays the best. Every time I, I come up with a story and I wanna submit it, I go to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction first. A, it's fronted by a black woman, B, the response times are generally very quick. So she's not gonna sit on my story for nine months unless she is very closely considering buying it. Let's see. 
they do have a pretty good following. Um, it's not the kind of following that you'd get from, say, the New Yorker or uh, Esquire. And like, honestly, if you are if you are making your way, making submissions, every once in a while, you should probably send something to the New Yorker if it seems like it has the right feel. Because even if you don't think that story is a good fit for them, if somehow they decide that it's a good fit for them, that makes your career immediately. And, and it also puts you at a higher level of the business than you would have been at otherwise. Let's see. Oh, copies of the Zoom recordings. That is not a question for me. <laughs> yes, uh, we will have those after I get all of the writers, I mean, all the authors to approve um, providing those out to our public, then we'll have them available to you. So uh, we'll have them. Um, this will be after the three days. So check with me um, maybe mid next week and we'll we'll talk about that. So yeah, I'm definitely cool with that. Um, okay. Also like that, the links list that I turned in is going to have a ton of information and uh, it's it's broken down into categories. Um, so it's pretty easy to navigate but just go through and check all those out. It's a, it's a great way to get a handle on things. I have a question for you. Um, I was, I'm self-published. So I was told that it's easier for someone to get a deal if they have a huge, a big following on social media. Is that something that we need to be looking out for or considering as we prepare? I mean, yes and no. Like mm -hmm. social media definitely helps but it's also not absolutely necessary. Like the most necessary thing is to make your work undeniable. Like for instance, there, there's an author local to New Orleans named Lady Hubbard. She studied under Toni Morrison. Uh, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal author. Um, and she doesn't really do any social media. Like mm -hmm. I think she has a personal Facebook account, but no author page on that. She doesn't do Twitter. Um, I think she might have a personal Instagram, but she doesn't promote through social media and she doesn't have to. She still sells quite well and her, her work speaks for itself. The, her books are The Talented Ribkins, which is a, a fantasy novel about a black family who has superpowers. Her second book is called The Rib King, which is kind of like a prequel to that first novel. And her third book is a short story collection called The Last Suspicious Holdout. And let me tell you, it is fire. Her work is fantastic. I will follow her anywhere she goes from now on. Great. I love that. Thanks for sharing. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Alex. This has been an amazing session. I learned so much. I have a whole page of notes here. So thank you so much for being with us, for sharing um, so honestly, so openly. That's exactly what we were hoping for. And, you know, we want to give you an opportunity to kind of say your last words. And I want to thank everybody for being a part of this session. Also, let us know how to get your books, what books you have out there, what other writings you have out there. I know we've talked about them in, in pieces, but if you want to just tell us, and you know, how to connect with you. And for those of you out there, please be sure to stay with us. We have one more session that's going to start at 7.30. We're going to be talking about fantasy and sci-fi writing. So again, Alex, thank you so much. And uh, you're here in New Orleans. I love that. And you're always so willing to participate. So thank you.
Um, you can get a hold of me through my website, which is uh, alexjennings.net. Um, I'm also still somehow on Twitter at uh, Magic Negro, M-A-G-I-C-K. Uh, it's the same on Instagram. Um, you know, I do social media, but I just do it for fun to please myself mostly. Um, but yeah, check me out in those places. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. I'm, I'm so glad that you're looking for this information and that you're cultivating a knowledge base. Try to reach out to the people who are here with you and connect with them because these are your contemporaries and this is your cohort in the business, no matter which way you decide to go in the future. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Stay with us. We're going to get started. Make it start a little early if we have our speakers with us, um, Aziza and Winnie. Uh, we're going to get started with that session as well. So for now, we're going to take at least a five-minute break. If you guys could just come back in five minutes, and, and then we will uh, make sure everyone gets access to all the presentations. There is a link. I'll put it back out there. I'll put it out there about four or five times. Make sure that you go to that link. You can get the resource handout that Alex provided for you. Lots of great information there. And then you can get the PowerPoint presentation that's going to be used by one of our co-presenters coming up. So thank you all. Five minutes and let's get started with the next session. Take care. Thanks again for having me. Bye. We'll open up some mics, everybody. Tell me where you're from. Be sure to to list that in the uh, chat box for me so we can get to know each other and make sure that you are a part of the Black Writers Workspace. I'm Michelle Jackson, the founder of the Workspace. To stay connected with me, there is a red QR code. Be sure to click it. That's my link tree. You will know how to get into our um, Facebook page. Uh, we have 13,000 followers. It's a private group and we talk about nothing but writing and we host events, book fairs. We have a live, we had a live book fair here in New Orleans in January. And we have done, I think, three virtual book fairs. So we are all about just sharing those resources. Uh, we have the Pen Posse Roundtable that takes place once a month. We take a topic, we bring in about four or five, no, eight or nine writers, and we do two hours of just talking about a specific topic. The last one, I think, was writing for the culture. And so you can be a part of that. We open it up to everyone. So if you're interested in the pen posse, once I put the link out, either on the Instagram page or Facebook, all you have to do is respond. And we select eight to nine different writers to be a part of that initiative. People, I don't know. We just have a really open, a great conversation. You can find that information on our YouTube channel. Um, so please be sure to follow us on YouTube. And that link is also in the link tree. I will put that link out on the um, in the chat box shortly. So uh, we have two other speakers that's going to come up. So you guys take a minute. But please don't leave us. Um, so how can you connect if you're not on Facebook? We are also on Twitter on Instagram at Black Writers um, Workspace, Black underscore uh, Writers underscore Workspace. That's on Instagram. And we just started a LinkedIn page. So that is the best way to stay connected with us. But you can always go to my page and you'll find more information, my website, and I'm typing it in now. So you can get more information about the Black Writers Workspace. Any other questions? Did you like Alex? Did you learn anything?
Tell me, guys, what did you learn? Because I am, he said a lot of things about the traditional publishing process that I did not know. Did anybody else learn anything? I learned a lot. From what I heard, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was simply saying that I learned a lot. Um, I have an educational background, but I'm transitioning into law school starting this fall. So just me using that creative side of my brain, you know, and listening to the ins and outs of an industry that I, you know, I'm just peeping into. I think it's great. Thank you. I love that. I'm glad that you were here with us. I did too. I I never, I think I've queried one or two agents. I may have tried uh, once to get a book deal, but I never really pursued it because I was always working a full-time job and just, I love to write. So, so yeah, I'll just self-publish, but listening to him, it feels like being in the right place at the right time. It feels like being persistent and really making sure that your stories are Excellent. I mean, flawless. Great. I mean, there's going to be a lot, like you said, he did four or five rewrites after he got the deal. So there's more that there that the publishing company is going to bring to the table when it comes to changes. But, you know, that was very interesting um, to learn about. Anybody else? Any comments? I definitely will second that sometimes being in the right place at the right time um, is what can get you where you need to be that was kind of what my experience was i had no intention of <laughs> being published especially not traditionally so i got suckered into that side of the world but you know it it, it is what it is and and some of it came that my book just happened to get into the hands of the right person who happened to have the right contact contacts to get me into that uh traditional published place mm -hmm. yeah yeah and he mentioned the gatekeepers who we know exist um, and their impact on what's getting published and what's not getting published. And that was something else I thought was very interesting to learn about. And getting into these programs, the Clarion, I thought, you know, hearing just hearing that he met Octavia Butler, like that was crazy to me. I'm going, I didn't get a chance to ask the question. Well, just what... I, just tell us about her. I mean, I, I am I the only one who reads her work? I mean, it's it's it's, it's amazing, and I wish she was still here to share more with us. But just such a great story. So, do we have Winnie? I know Ziza, that was you. Winnie, are you there? Hi, ladies. Are who's going first? Actually, I think we can kind of do a combination um, because, you know, yeah. reading through a lot of the things that when he has in the presentation, I can relate the sci-fi um, and the kind of scene situation to that. So if she wants to go ahead and, you know, get us started, I can kind of say, hey, let me tell you about the sci-fi side as we're going through her slides. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am first going to introduce the two of you um, so, so everyone will know who you are, what you're going to discuss. Um, we're here all to talk about science fiction, sci-fi writing. We have two accomplished, award-winning writers with us today. I'm Michelle Jackson, once again, with the Black Writers Workspace. Very happy to be here, uh, to be a part of this event with you. But I am, hold on, let me very quickly, I wanted to intro our speakers. We have Aziza Spinks also who writes under the synonym Anna Gia Wright. She, she is a firm believer, believer 
that reading and writing go hand in hand. She's a techie by trade and a writer by necessity. Aziza has had the privilege of having her creative works published in literary journals, print and e-magazines and anthologies. As a hybrid author, she has words published by traditional publishers, small presses, and through her own publishing company, Pinned in Blue LLC. Aziza has served as a presenter at multiple conventions, including the UBAWA Book Fair, Multiverse, um, SOAR Mag Book Festival. She has also conducted workshops for Linguistics Mystique Language Services. Okay, that was a hard one. And the Atlanta African American Book Festival. We're really, really happy to have Aziza with us. Uh, we also have Winnie Tautau. Winifred is also known by her name of Winnie, um, is an artist, an entrepreneur, and an Amazon best-selling author of her debut series, The God's The God Skin. Say it for Gion. me. Gion. Yes. Um, Winnie has had a long, a lifelong love of literature and art, and uh, she creates beautiful fantasy worlds with compelling and intriguing characters as a writer. And we are so happy to have her here to talk about fantasy and sci-fi writing. And uh, we're going to just turn it over to them. So once again, ladies, you can take questions during your sessions or after each person speaks, however you choose to do so. If not, we will hold it to the last 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. And then everyone, you can put your questions out there. In the meantime, the chat box is open if you want to get to know each other. And also, if you click the white QR code, or I'll drop the link again um, in the chat box, be sure to go there to get Winifred's PowerPoint presentation, which she is going to show right now on the screen. However, uh, you will have access to that information in our share file. So take it away. Okay. So let me share our presentation. And just to make sure everyone can see my screen. Yep. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Again, hello. My name is Winifred or Winnie. Um, and me and Aziza are going to be talking about um, compelling, how to create compelling fantasy and sci-fi characters and um, world building scenes. So let's get started. So in fantasy, a lot of it is making up the unbelievable or what's not believable in our world. Um, and a lot of it is just being creative and expecting new things, finding new things, finding new ways to create things that aren't really tangible or seem tangible in our reality. Um, and that also includes the characters, um, whether that be through um, what they look like, how they speak, how they interact with others, um, and just really getting into depth with them um, and how they are as characters and how they also interact within the scenes of the story as um, they're going through it. And the same is kind of true for uh, sci-fi. It is uh, how the characters interact with the science piece. So there, there, it could be a biological uh, situation. It could be technology. Uh, so it really is about the relationship between how you're crafting your character and how they relate to that piece of science that 
is becoming part of what you want your story to portray. Right. And when you are writing um, fantasy characters, they do have to have this level of uniqueness to them. Um, just because as you are world building and creating, you are making things that are make believe. So you do have to have some of your characters with um, distinctness and uniqueness. Um, for example, I have characters that are part dragon or part snake or mermaids. Um, just again, also when you are writing these characters um, and you are giving them these fantastical um, attributes to them, also still making sure you are connecting it to something that is realistic. Um, you don't want to make it too out of this world that a reader can't connect with the character. And you can do this through, maybe you have characters that are Black characters, and then they have powers or magic. Maybe you have characters that have the same personalities or motivations as other people you know in your life, or people the readers might connect to. Um, so when you are creating and writing fantasy and sci-fi characters, um, of course, it's always good to have that creativity, but also making sure there is something that connects them back to our reality, whether it be how they look or how they interact with other characters or how they interact in their world as well. She covered it all, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well. So elements within fantasy characters, um, I'm going to go a little off script, um, which is also on the screen. Um, again, um, doing a backstory is very important. We have to know who these people are, why they're doing the things they're doing, um, and how they're going to solve their issues or problems that arise especially when you are treating fantasy and characters that don't have say um, connections to other whether it be mythology, folklore, or history text um, that's rooted in the real world you really have to make it clear and distinct what is happening. Um, as much as you may think a reader is going to understand immediately, okay, yes, I get that this is happening and this is happening. They may not have the same vision you're having when you are reading your, um, your manuscript back to yourself. So always making sure um, I like to be descriptive, distinct, and detailed because Again, when it's fantasy, you're making everything up or most things up. So you have to be descriptive. You have to be distinct of what is happening, how it's happening, and being detailed because the reader's not going to know unless you tell them. So um, if you do have a character that has a certain physical ability or a feature and you talk about it at the end of the book, the reader's going to be confused because where did that come from? And then you say, well, I mean, it's always been a part of their faith or it's always been a part of their character. Well, they didn't know that. You knew that because you're writing it, but you know, a reader's not going to know that. So always making sure that you are being detailed with your writing and being descriptive because you want the reader to also see what you're seeing or envision what you're envisioning when you're writing um, so they can better connect to those characters and connect to the story as they go on. A lot of things I've seen when I'm reading or um, when I'm helping better read is that sometimes authors 
forget that <laughs> readers aren't with them when they're writing. So they do forget to add in the detail. They forget to add in the scene of what's happening there or what's happening here. And then you lose the reader because they're confused because there's a lack of detail and there's a lack of imagination of what's happening in the realm. And even in sci-fi, uh, I think a lot of people don't necessarily believe the idea that the science itself can be a character. So it's not just, uh, you know, this element of this technical term or, or this uh, very specific way that their world works, but that it, it is part of the development of your quote unquote person type character, but the science itself is its own character. So it has to be explained. It has to, uh, and it doesn't have to be very technical. You know, there are different levels of uh, science fiction. There's hard science fiction, which may have a lot of technical terms. So you, you get a lot of the uh, ideas that people see in like Star Trek is kind of where people relate to hard science fiction. And then there's soft science fiction that it may still have some technology. Again, it may still have some biological effect that has, uh, that plays a giant role in the story and the experience of your other types of characters. But the technology in itself, AI is a character. You know, robots are, can be characters. Um, biological, you know, mu mutated things can be characters themselves. And so you do have to have a roundedness. There has to be a level of an explanation uh, that can be incorporated. It's not necessarily a data dump where you're just saying, this is what this is and all, but again, how your other characters are experiencing this piece helps with the understanding from the reader's perspective that, oh, you know, this isn't something that just shows up all of a sudden that over throughout the story, this has been uh, integral to the entire experience of everybody else, all the other scenes uh, and everything else that is going on with the plot uh, of the story. Yes, and um, to add on to that, um, especially when she was talking about having um, different parts of technology um, for fantasy, you can have, um, we usually have like magic systems. So a soft magic system or a complex magic system. And, you know, you can be as simple as only people born in this part of the world use magic. Or you can be as complex saying it's a whole tradition. They have religions based around it, etc. It's up to you um, just knowing that if you are going to be more complex and detailed, you have to explain it one way or another. Um, because if you don't, you might end up contradicting yourself later in the story. Or again, you're going to have the reader lost. And I've seen that plenty of times <laughs> as well. Um, and these are a few techniques for just building characters. Um, again, making sure background and personality are very well fleshed out. Um, it's hard to connect to someone you don't see and you don't understand. Um, again, a lot of fantasy characters have very unique and fun names, um, but you don't have to make it very overly complicated with 30 names, all different. It's okay if your character is Tim. It's okay if their name is Ashley. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't always have to be a very long and complex thing. Cause again, 
readers are trying to also connect and names is one of the biggest thing. I can't remember a name that's 11 words or 11 characters long. <laughs> Sorry, but you know, I'm, I've had books I've read and I just give characters nicknames because I'm like, I'm not remembering that. So it's, and you know, making sure there are distinctness in the characters, but again, still grounding them in reality. What is driving these characters? Why are they fighting um, to win? Why are they trying to run away? Why are they trying to slay the dragon? You know, making sure that their motives are clear throughout the entire story and it's consistent. It doesn't make sense for a character to want to say, find buried treasure. And then mid of, middle of the story, you go, actually, you know what? They don't want to do that. They actually want to go and sail the seven seas instead. Okay, well, what happened? Why? <laughs> what changed? You know, it, what in their personality, what in what happened in the story changed it? You can't just switch things up because you want to add um, usually like more world building. I've seen that happen. And, you know, a lot of authors, even myself, we do get stuck with world building because we want to give everything so much dy dynamic visions and this is what happens here and this is what happens in this country. And, you know, if you're going to do that, that's great, but you have to make it make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense for character A to start traveling with character B if character B lives on the other side of the planet and they've never met since the beginning of the story. So again, just making sure when you are detailed, being consistent um, in your storytelling and your descriptions of the characters and their motives. And understanding that they have purpose. So like, like when he was saying, you know, having these details is one thing. And even Alex kind of alluded to this earlier about with his world building, the idea of, you know, you want to have all these details and all, but they have to serve a purpose. If the purpose is so that you want the reader to um, clearly visualize what a person looks like or what a creature looks like, then it serves a purpose. But if you just came up with this idea and yeah, you think it's a really cool idea, but the reality is that it, it doesn't serve the story, then that's something that you should leave out. Yes, absolutely. And that is a, a struggle for a lot of fantasy authors is finding that balance, um, is making sure you add just enough so the reader can follow, but also making sure you don't overwhelm the reader with so much detail with so much description to the point you're like okay I don't need to know their coffee order in the morning <laughs> like <laughs> you know I, like that doesn't need to be en entered in but just finding that medium and balance and of course you can do that through having other eyes look at your work and also reading other um I always advocate for reading within your genre um, just to help you gain more ideas and visuals. And also, again, like Alex said, to help your writing. You know, it's hard to, um, again, writer's block sometimes happens. And, you know, picking up a new book and reading and understanding like, oh, that's a fun way they did that magic system. Or, oh, that's a cool way they describe that character or how they look really can help you too. And also help you feel more grounded when you do start to present different attributes in your own writing as well. So I have a few examples of how to actually start making a character. 
Um, I know that we can talk about, okay, you have to do this and this, but again, some people want to see, okay, well, I still don't know how to do it. Well, I got some ways for you. So for me, I am, <laughs> I'm very much a planner when it comes to writing, <laughs> a, maybe a little too much of a planner, but for each of my books, I always do PowerPoints and slides as you see, and I just write and I give detail because I Again, consistency. I like to be consistent, especially that I'm writing a fantasy series. I don't want to con contradict myself from book one to book four. And it makes no sense, um, especially with the character motives and themselves. So um, the three examples of character building I have here, one is called a personality sheet or character sheet, which is on your, well, my far left. Um, the middle is a birth chart, and then at the end is a mood board. So these are three different ways to who are, which are more heavily visual, just to help you understand and create your character. Um, I'll start, and of course, Aziza, you can also chime in whenever you want to. Um, I'm gonna let you have this one just because I'm a, I'm a pantser. <laughs> so I actually, my, my characters tell me and show me who they are as they experience the story, which is also another way, but I'm interested in, even now in seeing, you know, this, this particular presentation, we all, I think, have seen those sheets, the yeah. character build sheets, and they <laughs> drive me batty, because I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I can do all of that, but for me, it feels like I'm doing all of this, and then I'm going to end up throwing it away that, you know, the, the, that's a little more detailed than I need to know. I can go back after the fact, and if I feel like I need to round out a character, then, you know, that's a, that's a let me go fill this out after I, after they've shown me who they are, but, you know, I'm going to let you have this one. I'm a passer, so that's kind of how my people show me who they are. Okay. Well, for me, I, I use these, they're a continuous, they always change and they grow, like you said, with the character and with the story. So um, this example is of Princess Arcelia. She's one of the main characters of my fantasy series. Um, and um, like I said, I'm going to start with the character sheet, which this one's very condensed. Um, and these are just some personality traits, her um, um, things about her, what she is, what she does. Um, and these can be changed, again, as you're writing and reading. Um, this is just, if you are struggling with, okay, how would this character do this or that? You could always look back to this and be like, okay, they're more stubborn. So maybe I should look at this at a different point. Or again, if the character is growing or they're having character growth or development or something traumatic happens, you can also just add that. So again, to keep track of your writing. So, you know, in book two, if you know, she's, she's now more secluded. She's, she's more, um, shy, introverted. Um, you know, you have that down you, because that happened in book one, there was this scene that happened, but again, you may not remember that when you're writing book four or book five, but, um, this is just a, a simple way to just keep, you know, just write out some words, change things around. Also, when you do write it out, um, like a character sheet like this, you can also compare the characters. So um, what I like to do is, okay, I have three characters here. I've written out personalities. Do these people all sound the same? <laughs> if they do, I have to go back to the drawing board. If they don't, we can start writing a story. 
So it's a great way to just to compare and contrast and see how um, the characters could interact with each other. You know, if say Arcelia, she has great people skills and I put her in a scene with someone who doesn't like people at all. How are they going to, you know, how are they going to interact with each other? How are they going to grow together? You know, what is their dynamic? So um, that's it's a good way for this. Um, again, if you're not more of the visual, you just like something to just put down a couple, you know, words or traits that you really like or want for the character or even, again, um, physicality, um, what they look like sometimes if they have color changing hair. You might forget that. So you have this be like, oh yeah, their hair does change color when they go in the water. So, you know, just to remind you, because again, a reader isn't going to necessarily read your book in the same way you wrote it. So if you took two years to write one book and then the next book you write it five years later, the reader might just buy the books back to back and just read and be like, wait a second, book two and book one aren't <laughs> connected. Because again, they bought it how not how you wrote it um so again just to make sure you don't have any plot holes or errors or there's consistency in your um per, um excuse me in your characters um and then now i'm going to move on to birth charts and mood boards these are more of a visual thing um birth charts are more for like i do it um for my third book it was very heavily heavily based on um, astrology and um, Greek mythology and all of that. So I did this as a way to just better connect the characters to that as well. Um, I know some people who use this religiously just to make their characters. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is already set out. So a sun sign, um, I'm not going to get too <laughs> in depth with astrology, um, but um, you know, you have your sun sign and um, you can look that up on Google, put in, okay, they were born on this date and they'll give you a bunch of personality traits, a bunch of hates, maybe some careers, and you can make a character from that. Um, so it's just an easier way to just play with characters, um, get some personality traits, get some even um, job placements or what they could do, what they might um, struggle with um, just to help you better understand your character or what you want to see your character do um, or look like. Um, um, also with looking like we have mood boards. Um, I like doing mood boards to really set the visual tone of a character. Um, as you can see, Arcelia is very heavily in purple. Um, one of those is that purple is a very royal color and she's also a princess. So um, you have purples, you have the cool tones. You aren't really like bright in your face purples, which again, works with the story. So this is more for just that visual aspect, um, getting what you wanna see and also helping you when you are creating this character. Um, okay, what do they look like? What does their hair look like? You know, it's easier to describe something you can see. You know, it's hard to do it when you're just like, okay, she always wears her hair in a high puff and you're thinking like, are you sure it's, but. If you have some pictures with you, you can. it's easier to describe what you're seeing and it's easier for your reader to also understand it too. So again, these are just um, some simple ways. I like to, um, again, 
don't, you don't have to do all three of these like, <laughs> but these are just different ways to, you know, if you are a planner or someone who is struggling with um, making a new character or even a side character and you're wanting to make them um, more emboldened in, in or important in the story, these are just ways to really um, visualize that or conceptualize that. Um, and also, again, keep yourself on track and consistent um, especially when you do have characters with a lot of unique personality traits or physical traits. Um, again, we're all humans, so we'll forget things. Um, so it's always nice to look back and be like, okay, yeah, they do have scales or, oh yeah, they do have red eyes or they have only one red eye or they have three eyes. So just, you know, keeping yourself consistent within your writing. Um, again, mainly for if you are writing longer books or a series. Um, like most of us do. Um, just again, keeping yourself consistent with the characters um, and also making sure you can understand the characters and also help you understand why they would do the things they do. You know, make it make sense. Like if this character is a doer and she's impatient and she hates long explanations, you know, don't have her sitting in a meeting that's two hours talking about the battlefield strategy. That makes no sense for her. She don't like, you know, she doesn't like to do that. So again, just making sure you are, you know, just keeping yourself on track and helping you better create the character. And again, if you need to make the changes, you can. And, you know, see that consistency and see that growth and see how it changes and evolves over time. And that's the same with with scene building and, um, and that's fantasy and sci-fi that you want to make sure that, um, if you're describing the world itself, the environment that your characters are currently experiencing, that you know you have an idea of how all those pieces fit together, how the weather, uh, if the weather is going to have an effect on which direction they decide to go or when they decide that they need to transition or do what ha whatever they need to do. And the same thing with uh, if you're creating the technology again as a character, uh, if you look at it from that perspective, you still have to understand how does it work. You know, what are the pros and the cons? Uh, it can't be flat as in like this thing only destroys, if, even if somebody creates something that only destroys, even in destruction, there is a level of creating, you're now creating a void. You're creating a, a, a place that no longer looks the way it looked before you threw that hand grenade. So there's still, you know, that area of being well-rounded and being consistent and having a full picture of, the before, the after, and all the moving pieces that are going on uh, in a scene or going on with technology uh, when you're creating and you're concerning yourself with your creation of your story. Yeah, totally agree. And again, just making sure when you are creating these stories and you are, especially for scenes, I like to um, use the five senses. So I always like to, what do they smell? What do they hear? What do they taste? What do they feel? You know, what do they see? When you can vividly point, pinpoint those three, or excuse me, those five senses, it helps both you and the reader better visualize what the character's going through and what they're seeing and what they're feeling and what they're sensing. And it better grounds your character in a reality. So if they're in outer space and they're floating around, you know, 
what are they seeing in space? Are they seeing shooting stars? Are they seeing spaceships? And like, how are they feeling? What, do, what are they wearing in space? Can they breathe outer space? Can they smell outer space? You know, being descriptive and making sure the scene is set where it's, you can, like, if I always like to make it where if I can physically be here, how would it feel? If I'm standing right next to this character, am I sweating too in the jungle? Or are they chilling like a villain because they, you know, <laughs> like the, the the jungle don't bother them. They got insulation and in their skin or something. Like, again, describing that, making sure, it, again, makes sense too. If you are in the jungle or in the desert and, you know, your character's just walking around and they're fine and it's blazing hot. Why is that? You know, most people are going to be like, well, when I'm in the desert, I'd be sweating a pool. Like, why is this character, you know, acting the way they act? So again, making sure it makes sense in the context of what's happening within the scene. And then, of course, within the story, too. And then, uh, so I, <laughs> um, again, this was mainly just uh, a page just to show you my books and also what else I do. Um, but I'm always open to more questions about fantasy writing and scene building um, and world building. That's really my forte when it comes to my writing um, and being creative. And I also do have a membership program where we do talk and discuss how to write um, for um, fantasy, sci-fi, and really anyone who needs that help or connection um, or who's just starting their writing journey um, really like to inform and connect with each other and help each other grow um, as well. Uh, and soon we'll be doing some workshops, <laughs> um, helping again, other authors, just um, going through their writing, going through um, what they can do and how they can grow um, within the community and then with their publishing journey. Um, I don't know how much time we have less to uh, do I think we have some. Um, I think we still, we're still uh, okay. Yeah, you have to eight fifteen, so okay. you're good. Okay. Awesome. So I actually kind of just want to say too, even with all of these things that Winifred and I have kind of brought up, these are not necessarily things that are done before you start writing. So while for a person who plans, they may need to do. Um, a, a, a starting packet of these ideas in this presentation. But I think everybody, even if they have these things planned out as they start to write and as they start to get in the story, the story evolves, your characters mm -hmm. evolve. And like Winifred said, you know, if, if they run into a traumatic event and it changes their personality, that may not be something that as a writer you planned on. But that doesn't mean that you can't go back to your little notes and yeah. add that in and, you know, have that justification of in book one, they started out being this person, but this is kind of part of the character's journey. And by the end of that book, they've become this other person. They've had these experiences. That's your plot. You know, that's how your characters grow. And, you know, you, you can then keep track of those things as you go through. As a pantser, I'm that person who, like I said, I let my characters kind of evolve and tell me who they are. Then I actually will go back and as I'm going through my editing and my, my read-throughs, that's when I start 
tracking, you know, who these characters are, the experience that they're going through. Um, and I then can start to identify if there are inconsistencies with the scenes, with the setting, uh, with the characters themselves. So I still, in the end, end up with a reference tool, a, a writer's Bible, if you will, for a particular story or a particular series. So, you know, that you it can be done at the beginning, it can be done at the end, it can, it can and should probably be done throughout. And that's also a tool that um, I use when I hit, Winifred calls it writer's block, I like to call it writer's avoidance. <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of times that's because you've not taken into account a piece either of the story or uh, the character, you may be holding on to a character being a certain way and you may not even realize it. And so that's a time to kind of go back and reevaluate. Is it the character that's giving me problems? Is it the situation? Have I uh, written myself kind of into a corner? Um, and if so, is that because I, I am not addressing a piece or an issue that this character is hiding? You know, we do that in lifetime and, and personally. Uh, where you, even in life, you're like, yeah, I don't really want to face this. So you do all this other stuff to keep from really facing and addressing the issue. And that could be what's going on with your character. And if you discover that's what it is, is your opportunity to kind of back back out and say, hey, th maybe they were supposed to do this, or maybe I thought they were supposed to do this, but I can go back and reevaluate and realize, okay, they really need to address this issue. And that takes your story into potentially a different direction. And will allow you to continue to evolve the story instead of feeling like you're stuck having to do on this path that you originally designated, but may not be most serving to your story. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. I know even though I like to plan and plan, I know for sure my books, the plots I started with are not the plots I ended up with and published. And that is completely fine. The same thing with your characters and your scenes. It's okay to trash some things. It's okay to get rid of some characters. How you get rid of them, that's on you. If they dying, if they living, if they just disappear, that's, <laughs> that's on you. I, I'll tell you, I've done multiple times of <laughs> different characters that yeah, I'm like, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to scrap you from this book. I'm going to scrap you from the entire series. You're not really needed. You know, and if that means I have to go back and rewrite everything, that's fine. But I can tell, like, this character isn't helping moving the plot. It's not helping moving the other characters. And they're just there. They're a filler character. And it's okay to, you know, not go exactly with what you planned or to switch things up. Or when you're writing, you go, oh, my goodness, I have a new idea. Um, or I have a new way to build upon the world. Um, and that even happens as you're writing other parts of a series too, you know, there are things that I'm like, okay, I want to add this to it, but I have to make sure I'm like, okay, I, I didn't mention it in the book, the first two books, like how do, if I want to add this, how do I add it and make it still consistent with the story? You know, I don't want to say, okay, now everyone can fly and use magic. No one's been using magic or flying for the last three books. It's like, okay, well, why wasn't this you know, introduce why wasn't this used? Why it wasn't utilized? So just making sure when you are again rewriting and um, revising and looking through your work, it's okay to change everything. <laughs> it's okay to start from scratch. It's okay to throw away some characters. You're like, you know what, this one, 
It's not it. They can go. They don't need to be here. That's completely fine. Again, as a person who plans and plans, I still do it. <laughs> so just know like it's okay to just let like um, Aziza said, let your writing take you. Let your characters tell you where they want to go. I have characters I do not like, but I know I have to write them. <laughs> I have characters where they do things. I'm like, that That was grimy. I wouldn't do it personally. But, you know, that's you. That's that's your business. So, you know, just making sure, like, understanding that, too, when you are writing these characters, you don't have to agree with everything they do. You don't have to agree with their moral compass. You know, not everyone has to be a good guy. Not everyone has to be a bad guy. Not everyone has to be neutral. You know, you are making characters to be fleshed out and well-rounded, and that is going to include things that you won't agree with, that you may agree with, that your readers may not like. Again, I have I have a hit list of characters I do. Mm -mm. If they were here in person, I would slam the, the front door in front. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. They would <laughs> they would be blocked on every type of social media account. I wouldn't give them. No, 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 no. Terrible people. But again, I write them because they're needed for the story. It, it makes no sense to have every character you write to be some reflection of what you agree with, because then it's like you're not really writing a conflict. You're not really writing full flesh characters. You know, you have people in your life where they have different opinions and you don't agree with them. Because that's just people. Everyone's going to have different opinions. Everyone's going to have different backstories and different outlooks of life. So why not when you're writing that also be represented as well? So. All right. Anybody have any questions? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Um, any questions out there? Winnie, can we go back to? Yeah stop sharing the screen so oh yes okay stop that okay anybody you want to open up your mic and ask a question or raise your hand y'all don't have no questions for us oh i'm sure <laughs> i see a hand okay miss rich hi um I don't know how to use Zoom very well. So I don't even see my face. I feel like you guys, I can't see what I look like. This is freaking me out. We can't see you either. So don't worry. Okay. okay. Oh, there you go. Oh, well. Okay. Don't, no worries. Go for it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not super tech savvy. Oh, and my camera's not working. Sorry. Um, my question is um, for Winnie, if I can, Winifred? Either is fine. <laughs> okay, I'll call you Winnie. I want us to be friends one day anyhow. Okay. So um, my question is for Winnie. Winnie, you mentioned that um, you should read within the genre. That way you get a good feel for it. I kind of want to write for like kids and teens in that direction. So are you suggesting I should read more kids books and teenage teenage books, things like that? It's more of reading within what, like, let me give an example. For me, I have magical characters that use magic. So okay. if I am stumped on how to set up a magic system, I would pick up a book that's heavily based on magic systems, mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, usually when you're reading, read something that you can, that is not exactly similar to everything you're writing, but something that may have a similar theme or context or maybe character development, um, just so you can get a better idea how to create your own work. Um, okay. I know I read I read books in fantasy that are for children, um, just because I do like to see, okay, well, how do they write kids? So I can better write kids in my stories. Um, okay. So it's all about just doing it based off of how or what you're trying to get from it. If this is like, say, writer's block or writer's avoidance, <laughs> um, um, just seeing like how you can better understand what kind of context or theme you're trying to expand on or um, something you might be struggling with. Um, it's just it's just good to, you know, pick up a book that is similar. Um, it, again, it doesn't have to be verbatim like exactly okay this is I'm writing a kid's book I have to read kids books you know mm -hmm. so reading something that if you're trying to say a theme for kids you know um, maybe it's divorce maybe reading a book about a parent and another parent divorcing um, or okay. reading you know a romance where they fall out of love just so you can get a better feel of you know expanding those characters and that um, world building as well too Okay, and that can and, actually help you too with the whole idea. If you're trying, if this is something that you're doing with the intent to sell, it helps you to figure out what your readers of that particular genre are going to expect. So, you know, if, if you're writing romance, Alex mentioned, you know, for category romance, there is an expectation of a happily ever after. If you're writing kids' books, if you're writing them in the reference of, say, today, the terminology you're going to use will be significantly different than somebody who wrote that same type of book in the 1950s. You are right. So you kind of get exposed to what language is being used, what slang words are being used, those sort of things. So it helps you, you know, not just to uh, develop from your perspective, but also to make sure that you're meeting the reader expectation for people who are looking for those types of books in that genre. Okay, thank you. And then I also have one more question, and this could be for either one of you. Um, I don't really know if I'm going to say this right, but so my problem right now is that I feel like I don't have time to write. I'm either like working or I'm in school right now or I have errands to run. How did you all find time to write and make this your career? right now or did you struggle as well oh I oh I have stories so <laughs> I said we about to be friends girl <laughs> I published my first book in my second semester of college and <laughs> I just kept publishing until I graduated college and I'm still writing um and I'm still working so okay. I am time management and me are buddies. Um, <laughs> so what I usually do, I always have either a planner, whether it be on my phone, whether it be a physical planner to write. Um, and I set an expectation. Um, I am a self-published author. So I don't want to, if I say, okay, I can write a book in six months. Okay. Mm, let's say the book needs to be about 50,000 words. Okay. If I, you know, I'm, 
I'm not good at math, but say if I'm doing the math, I'm like, okay, I need maybe a hundred words a day to get the book finished in six months. You know, just starting small to build up to that bigger goal to um, finish your book is usually what I do. Um, and just knowing that it's okay to take breaks. It's okay to, you know, if you don't write for two days, it's okay. If you write one day, you write 5,000 words, amazing, but don't put that expectation that that has to be an everyday thing. You know, I like baby steps. I like to work in baby steps. That's what I'm doing with the fifth book in my series. I said, you know what, when I, when I finish this book, I finish this book, but I'm not, you know, I'm not rushing with it. I'm not stressing myself, you know, you know, it's all about going at a pace, you know, you can handle, you Mm -hmm. don't have to like, again, it took me, it can take me six months to write a full story, but it may take someone two years to do that. You know, everyone has their own pace. Everyone has their own, um, you know, how fast they can do their things. And again, we all have lives, you know, things happen where you can't write maybe for two months or you can't write for two years or you can't write for two decades. And that's okay. You know, just at least in some way or shape or form, just write, you know, if it's one word a day, if it's two words, if it's five sentences, you know, just keep writing. Eventually you will get to the finish line. Um, and that's what motivates you because you will finish it. It may not be tomorrow, but you're going to finish the book. <laughs> yeah, we have a couple of more questions. I see. Thank, Thank you. you. Question. Great, great question. Um, someone asked, I will be finishing up my first draft of my fantasy um, young adult book soon. What's the first thing you personally do after finishing the first draft? Aziza, you want to take that? I walk away. Mm-hmm. So uh, usually by then I'm spent. Like you, you've seen it so many times that you're extremely close to it. So the first thing I usually do is walk away. There are some people who can walk away for an hour and come back. And uh, I usually just personally will put a manuscript down at least three months. There's been some that I won't look at for three or four years, depending on how traumatic the writing process was. I'm, I am an empath. My stories come through me. And so I actually experience what my characters experience. And if that's death, is that murder, you know, there are things that I have to come to terms with. And so, you know, you have to figure out what time you need to walk away from it so that you can actually come back to it with fresh eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I I like to take a nap. (laughs) As soon as I hit, I'm like, okay, sleep. I wake up and then I give myself a breather again, like, Aziza said, a month or two, you know, relax my brain, relax my writing spirit. You know, we don't, you don't have to start jumping into editing and finding an editor and getting your man. Breathe. You just finished the book. That's a lot of words. (laughs) You know, give yourself time to just process it, relax a little. And then once you've done that, you don't even have to look at the main, you can start, you know, start playing out other things. Are you, okay, are we doing traditionally published? Are we doing um, self-publishing? Let's start researching that, like keep yourself, you know, avoid, not avoiding um, the first draft, but, you know, just taking a break from it just so you can refresh yourself and refresh your mind so you can get ready to, if you need to start doing a second draft, if you need to start looking for editors, if you need to start looking for agents, you know, just doing that, giving yourself time and space away from it, just to like, you know, get yourself back on track really is helpful. Um, and again, helps us as well. 
Great answers. I have another, another question here. Uh, when writing a main character, what if you don't want that person to be the main character anymore, but how how you've written them into the story so perfectly and you don't think you should restart the whole story? How would you go with changing the main character in the middle of the book? And what would you do uh, to the original main character? So in my experience, my books are written from different points of views. So what you could do is um, if you have another main character or a character you want to see more importance with and say the last half of the book, make sure that character is prevalent in the beginning. Again, making sure they're notable, making sure they have importance. You don't want it. Okay, if this is your main character and you're switching over to a secondary main character, that secondary main character should be in chapter one. You know, don't just have them pop out of nowhere and we're like, okay, new main character, let's go. So um, just making sure like if you are going to do that switch, which it can be a big transition, you know, make sure that it is prevalent that it was it's going to happen. You know, make sure that the character that is going to be taking over has been there, has been notable, um, has been vocal in the story. So when is there, if there is a switch at the middle, it's not this giant shock to the reader or a shock to you writing. You know, you're like, okay, this makes sense because it still flows. It's all about making it flow and make it make sense. You know, why is the reason the main character is no longer the main character? Did they die? Did they, you know, pass away? Did they move? Did they, you know, transform into a start? Like what happened? So, you know, building up to that as well, foreshadowing is going to be your best friend. It's going to be your best friend. So just making sure it's prevalent. Um, again, you don't have to change your whole story if you don't want to, but making sure if you are going to have that transition, making sure it's notable and noticeable for both you and the reader that it's going to happen. You know, you don't want the reader to be like, wait a second, this came out of nowhere. So again, just making sure that transition happens, you are, you know, and it makes sense with the story and it's notable what's going to happen and who's going to take over for the rest of it. Oh, oh Michelle, you're mute. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm like talking. Um, thank you. Great question. Great answer. Thank you, everybody. If there are any more questions, um, let's take one more. Let's see. If not, then thank you, Winnie and Aziza. You did a fantastic job. Like I said before, though the presentation that you saw is in our shared file. Um, you can click the white QR code uh, to get it, or you can go to one of the links in the chat box. Tomorrow, we have one more question to come up, but tomorrow we will have... Um, additional speakers. So be sure to go to your Eventbrite page to see the agenda. Um, I could put it up. Let me see if I have time. While you're answering that question, I'm going to put the agenda up on the screen. I want to make sure everybody's back here tomorrow night for two more speakers. And then Saturday, we have a host of speakers and we invite you to come and be a part of it. All of the links for Zoom are in the Eventbrite uh, page so you can just go back there and join us on tomorrow night as well as on Friday night. This has been a great night though. So I'm really happy with it. But I'm gonna let the ladies answer this final question and I'm gonna put on the screen our um the agenda for the rest of the Black Ink Book Fair. Anyone want to read that? Uh okay the 
Last question was, a lot of fantasy is built on mystical and magical worlds. Oh, oops, I just left it. Hold on. Uh, I'm someone who focuses more on characters versus the worlds around them. What advice would you give someone who wants to write fantasy but is more about characters? Well, most fantasy is about characters. <laughs> but you go ahead, Winnie. <laughs> okay. Um, for me, what I usually do is um, if you're going to do that, um, you still have to, you're again, scene building, but again, make your character strong, you know, give them backstories, um, make the reader understand why they should care about this character and their journey, um, why they should be connected to this character. If this is a very character driven story, um, keep the plot simple. You, if you're, you know, if you want these characters to be the forefront, don't have 30 different subplots you know, going on and then still trying to have these characters prep. The reader's going to be confused and they're going to be like, well, there's no point because I'm trying to follow why this character does this. And then I'm also trying to follow why this character is going to this place. And then this character is going to this place and then why they're fighting this big baddie. So again, if you're going to do that um, balance where you're, it's more character driven, it's heavier, make sure that, you know, um, it is a more simplistic story. You know, it's not, too convoluted it's very a b c you know if you really want these characters to be the forefront again just making sure they are prevalent making sure they have their unique traits they have their upsets um and explaining why this happens how it affects them how it impacts them too um and again just making sure you and the reader can understand why the character does the things they do um even if your story is simplistic where it is just them going on a journey, finding, um, fighting a big battle, and that's it, you know, understanding why the characters are going on the journey, why they want to go on this journey, why they're trying to fight, et cetera, um, I think will really help you and help build your characters, help them be the forefront, as well as still continuing the story. And I have quite a few stories that are like that. You know, it, it really is about the characters even sometimes figuring out who they are. That the That is the main focus of the story they figure out who they are based on all of the stuff that they start to experience so you're still focusing on the character but the care you're focusing on the character growing based on their experiences throughout the story right their interactions with others their interactions with the world or or you know they may have amnesia and them figuring out where they came from uh by somebody whispering little bits and pieces or you know them having triggered uh, events that bring those things back yeah um like oh um like this yeah uh a cozy fantasy story too yeah you know it doesn't have to be very convoluted it doesn't have to be very extravagant if your fantasy story is that you know they have mermaids and fairies they have mermaids and fairies and that's your fantasy you know it doesn't have to be the big world building with the maps and the different languages and the different tech you know, this is your book, this is your manuscript, this is your story, you know, make it as wonderful as you want to make it, make it as simple as you want to make it, make the characters, um, I think, regardless, they have to be the forefront, you know, they have to be, like, impactful, and they have to be prevalent in the story and make sense to the story, so, you know. And they, um, they can't be set in the real world, contemporary fantasy exists, like, it, yeah. it, it is those other things that are happening in 
your current world. So you don't necessarily have a whole lot of world building to do. You just need to make sure that it's consistent with. If you're going to set it in Atlanta, then you need to have Atlanta, but it'll have yep. that fantasy element to it. So don't think of world building as it always has to be somewhere other than what we know as the real world. Yeah. You don't have to build it from the ground up. We have a big, we live on a big planet, <laughs> but a lot of countries, you know, it doesn't have to be, okay, I have to build every city. I have to build the countries. I have to build the rulers. I have, to, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. Again, looking at other um, source material, looking at other books that have been written that are contemporary fantasy, how they, if there is a book, I, I know there are a couple of indie authors I know that write um, in LA and she, most of her um, story building and world takes in LA and then also in the South of the US and then um, Washington DC. That's the story set, you know, you don't have to, you know, again, make it as, you don't have to be the big, bad fantasy, everything I, I came up with myself. It's okay to take from other source material. It's okay to just place it in the real world, you know, make it as complex or as simple as you want it. Um, because again, these are your stories. Excellent. Thank you, ladies, so much um, for being with us. Make sure you drop your information in the chat box. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we will look to see you tomorrow uh, where we will be talking about do you have the right stuff is the first session. And then we will also cover down on how to monetize your book sales. So don't miss tomorrow. Um, I will be in and out. There's going to be someone else who will be hosting, Desiree Young. She's a colleague of mine. She's going to make sure everything runs smoothly. I'm going to be listening in, but I do invite you all to be with us. I will be sending out a reminder tomorrow uh, so that you'll know to come on. And tonight has been fantastic. So thank you so much, ladies. You did an excellent, excellent job. And I look forward to continue to work with you. Once again, we do invite everyone to the Black Writers Workspace. Um, be sure to hit the, the red QR code so that you can get into my link tree and we can connect. Uh, you can send me an email or join the Black Writers Workspace or also add your work to directorauthors.com. It is an indie uh, book marketplace where we are allowing people to build profiles that will take folks to your website, your author pages, so you can make direct sales if you are an independent author. However, we have so many more great authors who's going to be with us. So thank you again. Thank you, everybody. The million thank yous coming, coming up. I love that. So thank you again. And we will have the recording ready. Let's just shoot for Wednesday because we have two more days. And um, ladies, are you okay with us releasing the recording? Yeah, that's All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Guys, everybody have a great night. See you tomorrow. All right. Have yeah. a good one. Thanks. It was nice meeting everyone.